At Woodside Bible Church, we gather weekly to pursue God by studying His Word together. How can Christians find the motivation necessary to overcome the challenges of our modern culture and continue the mission that God has called us to? In Revelation, All Things New, we'll discover a glorious description of the end of all things and the great kingdom to come. It's here we find motivation for our present challenges. Join us as we look to the end and find hope and strength for our mission in the present. Well, this morning, I, I'm excited to be preaching this morning, um, and I'll be honest, I, I told someone today, I'm very thankful uh, to be doing this one, because I get to do the fun part of Revelation, <laughs> the, the fun and joyful part, um, while all of it is, um, is very important for us, and as I hope if, you, if you've been walking with us through this, you've seen um, that oftentimes we look to Revelation and we're like wanting to answer all the questions, right? We want to answer when is this going to happen and when is this going to happen and what are the signs and what are the things and that's not what Revelation is all about. That's not the heart behind this book. The heart behind the book of Revelation was to provide hope is to provide hope for the believers to be able to say, hey, we don't have to be afraid of what today comes. We don't have to be afraid of the false prophets. We don't have to be afraid of disaster. We don't have to be afraid of all these things because we know who ultimately wins. That is the hope of Revelation. Yes, we will see that there will be judgment, that God will be, bring justice. But what we're going to see today is we're going to see how revelation, the things that we see in God's word, should fuel us for how we live today. So as we start, does anyone love a good story? Anybody love a good story? Right? Maybe, maybe you're, uh, maybe this story, and we think of a good story, that one that captures your attention. One that captures your attention from the beginning, and you, it carries you all the way through to the end. And maybe this story, maybe for you, you're, you're a book lover. So you love a good story from a book. Maybe you love a good story when it comes to movies. Or maybe even TV shows, Right? A good story is one that engages your intention and takes you on a journey. I, re I recently learned of a, a concept when it comes to being a storyteller. It's called the hero's journey. And the hero's journey is an idea that every story, every narrative tends to follow this similar pattern. That the story, and if that story deviates from that pattern, at the end, it leaves us unsatisfied. Right? It leaves us wanting a different end. Joseph Campbell, who's a professor in literature, said it this way. He said, a hero ventures forth from the world of common day into a, re a region of supernatural wonder. Fabulous forces are there encountered, and a decisive victory is won. 
The hero comes back from this mysterious adventure with the power to bestow boons on his fellow man. That's the hero's journey. I believe that we love stories that reflect that hero's journey because ultimately we want the, to answer the question in a story, but also in our life is that are we going to make it? Right? We all want to ask that question. Is what I'm doing right now, is my life right now, am I going to make it to the end? Is it going to be okay? And even though this professor of literature, I don't know if he's a, a follower of Christ or not, but, but what I see is that this understanding of a hero's journey is a reflection of the story of Jesus. Right? Think about this. Jesus is this hero's journey. He left a place where he was fully known, being in the very presence of, of God the Father. He was in heaven, and he came to a land, earth, where he, com to where he was completely unknown, right? And, and he faced the ultimate supernatural battle, the supernatural battle against Satan and sin itself. And it was a result with, a, with his death. But then he was reject, re resurrected and he overcame the grave. Sin had been atoned for, death had been beaten, and his perfect life, a sacrificial death and miraculous resurrection was the fulfillment of God's plan to make a way for all humanity to experience victory over sin. Yes. To very, very experience victory over sin and death and eternal judgment through faith. And when all things, when all things come to an end, every knee will bow and confess that Christ is the Savior and the champion. And he is the Lord of glory of God the Father. And Jesus will make all things new. That's an incredible story, <laughs> right? That's an incredible story to see how, how God from the very beginning had a plan that he was going to send Jesus to the cross. And this story, this story, this reality is so much bigger. And what we call this is not a some fairy tale, but this is the gospel message. Jesus made it. And because he made it, through faith, we can make it too. We will experience the beauty of the reality of his victory in the new creation forever. And this is what we find in Revelation 21. So if you turn your Bibles to Revelation 21, we're going to uh, take a look here. And we're going to see, ultimately, through these verses that God is making all things new. The problem is that as many as us who want to, uh, what we, our hope is found in the story of Jesus and the fact that he is making all things new, that there is a, a place we will go when we die, the, the biggest issue that we struggle with today is do we really truly appreciate 
what's to come? Do we really truly appreciate that we will spend eternity with God because we're so consumed with making our lives great here? We're so consumed with finding satisfaction in the things that we have here and now. We love to think about the amazingness and the things that we receive, the results of what God has done that affects us now, that we miss the greatest thing is what is to come, right? We, we love to think about the immediate right now results of God's completed work for us through Christ. We are forgiven, yes. We are justified, praise God. Right? We are new creations. The old is gone and the new has come. We are adopted sons and daughters who are under, the God, under God's glorious grace. We're made holy, blameless, and righteous. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing. And their blessings have been lavished upon us. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. We are guaranteed salvation. This is all of ours because of our faith in the gospel. Those are the things that we receive now. So often we focus on those things that when we find satisfaction in the world around us, we forget about Christ's return. We act like we should experience all of the goodness and all of the blessings of God now. We want health now. We want wealth now. We want comfort now. We want peace now. And while we, are not, while we may not ever say it out loud, we hold so tightly to the things that we have in this world and what the world can offer us. We sometimes fall in the trap of becoming so satisfied with what this world has to offer that we're left with any, we're left with no passion and no, um, we're left with nothing to look forward to. This is why Revelation 21 is so critical. I've heard it say this way, if we neglect what is to come, we rob ourselves of the motivational passion to persevere in the present. Let me say that again. If we neglect what is to come, we rob ourselves of the motivational passion to persevere in the present. Do you believe that the greatest news for Christians hasn't happened yet? In the end, the greatest news is that all things are going to be made new, and you will experience it if you are in Christ. Revelation has showed us that our hero is coming back for us. It shows us that we're going to complete the hero's journey because of what he has done and will do. We will be with God forever and ever. So as we see... Because of so many Christians are satisfied with the picture of what is and not really all, are not really all that excited about the picture of what will be. 
And because of this, we're so focused on the present that we lack passion and motivation to live out the gospel now. So as we're going to see, the question that we're going to look at is, so what must we grasp? What must we grasp about God's revealed future that will help us right now? What are the things that we're going to see from Revelation that is going to help us to grasp God's future, the things that he has revealed to be help, help us to live today? First, we see we must grasp God's vision of a new reality, starting in verse 1. It says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. In these first verses, we see that God is making all things new. That instead of what was once separated, right, we live in a separated world where Earth and heaven are separated because of our sin, because of God's holiness, that heaven and earth are completely separated. But in this new heaven, in this new earth, there are, they are united. They are united together. This is the hope that God leaves with us. He speaks of this new heaven and new earth and what's interesting, as I was, as I was studying, uh, a couple of the commentators were, were pointing to the fact that there's this biblical principle that we see here as well as we see in other areas of Scripture. It's this principle that God acts negatively only in order to make room for the positive. God acts negatively in order to make room for the positive, right? We see this in Revelation 20. We see that God is going to judge the wickedness. God is going to judge the sinful, that he is going to make his final judgment, and he is removing all of that, the sin of the world, so that chapter 21 can happen. The positive. Another... uh, Another great church father, Augustine, put this definition of evil is evil is the absence of good. God acts in such a way to finally remove all evil so there will be nothing but good. And that's what we see here. That God is, now that evil has been removed, he is returning things to what is good. John also, throughout Revelation, speaks back to the Old Testament. He sees that John and that God is fulfilling a promise that he made in Isaiah. Isaiah 65, 17, he says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Everything around us has been subject to suffering and pain, the result of sin. We see it, we live it, we live in a world that is sinful. We live in a rule that is, that is broken. And God's not just going to recreate this world. 
It's not a recreation. It's a renovation. He's going to renovate the world. It's not like we see in Genesis 1 where it was he created things out of nothing. He is going to renew the things that have been broken because of sin. We, our new heaven and new earth is going to be like this, but it's going to be perfected. He's going to transform and purge and purify and glorify the things that he created because he created them good. We see what this looks like even through the resurrection of Jesus, right? When Jesus died and he rose again, he didn't have a new identity. It wasn't like he, he became another person. The fact that his body was glorified, that, that people, even though in, in talking more to him and being face-to-face with Jesus, they were able to recognize him. This is that same way. The purpose of this is to reverse the effects of the fall and make us perfect human beings who radiate God's glory. So he's going to make this new heaven and this new earth. And then what we see is he brings in the the idea of the sea being no more. And if we really look at Scripture, if we really go back and look at passages, we see the sea is often uh, a picture of a hostile and uncontrollable personification of evil. When they talk about the sea, even in Psalms, or, or even we see the sea being brought up in all of Revelation, we see that the sea is often personified in the sense that it's, it's the origin of evil, that it's the nation that persecutes the saints, it's the place of the dead, it's the location of the world's most idolatrous trade, it's a body of water. The sea being gone is, is basically saying that every raging government, every form of personal, political, corporate evil will be completely gone. That is the new heavens and the new earth. Then we see the holy city, the new Jerusalem, the bride. All of these things are a reference to the church. These are the church. This is the church body. Those who have placed their faith in Jesus across decades, across uh, from the very beginning of time to when Jesus returns. Every person in every country that has placed their faith and trust in Jesus. This is the church. This is the new Jerusalem, the holy city, the people of God. This place is a place where God is glorified. The New Jerusalem is not a place for people. It's a people for a place. The place is the new heaven and the new earth, and the people are the bride of Christ. So what does that mean for us? For the church, the church is messy. The church has its flaws. People who make up the church have imperfections, inconsistencies. But if you are a follower of Christ, you cannot separate yourself from the church. 
You cannot just say, you know what, I don't want to be a part of the church anymore. Because being a part of the church means that you're apart from God. Because the church is the people of God. Does the church sometimes look ugly? Yes. But not on this day. This day, all the reasons why to love the church, love the people of God is made evident because we see that God loves the church. Jesus loves the church. And on that day, we will be with each other in perfection without all of the problems and inconsistencies, without all the uh, issues. So even today, there will be church hurt because we are imperfect people. Continue to pursue being a part of the church. Continue to pursue being part of God's people because it's ultimately not about the people. It's about God. People tend to think of the future in very different ways. They think it's a, a place that uh, we're just going to be in the clouds. Maybe, maybe you've been shown the place that we're going to become angels and we're just going to sit up on the clouds striking our harps and all this stuff. But that's not what we see in this, in this scripture. Instead, we will be fully human we're all together, we're going to be free from the effects of sin. All the colors, all the tastes, all the expressions, all the sounds will be perfected. And what we experience here is just a shadow of what we will experience there. Because God is making all things new. So what is it else that we need to grasp? We saw that we need to grasp God's vision of reality, but now we also need to grasp the reality of this new home. He continues to talk about what this home will look like in verses, starting in verse 3. He says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was created on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. What a picture of what heaven will be like. What a picture of what this new heaven and new earth will be like. This is not just a community of human beings. This is going to be a community unlike any other because we are living with the one who is eternal. I love the Bible. The Bible is, is one big, cohesive story from the beginning to the very end. And this picture that John is giving of that we see here of the new heavens and earth actually go back. If you go back to look at uh, when God brought his people from Egypt to Mount Sinai, 
and God was rescuing them from Egypt. And he's like, you're going to build a place for me to dwell with, that God was going to be their God. And he said he gave them all the instructions of what that a place is going to be, the dwelling place of God. So they erected this, this at one point, temporary because they were moving uh, to the promised land, but then eventually it became a, a permanent place, and it was the tabernacle. So we have the temple and we have the tabernacle. And they were building this place, and this place was going to be where God was going to dwell. It was the physical representation of where God was going to dwell. And there was a place within this temple or tabernacle called the Holy of Holies. That is the place where eventually the Ark of the Covenant would rest, but that was the place that was the dwelling place of God. And in that day, only the priests would be able to enter into the Holy of Holies. Only the, the priests would be able to enter in to commune with God, to dwell with God. This place was so holy and so perfect because God was there that even if the priest had any unconfessed sin or any impurity in his life, if he were to walk through into the Holy of Holies, he would die like that. That is how much holy this place is. This is the dwelling place of God. What we see here where he says, John is saying that I will dwell with you God is making a dwelling place with God for all of eternity. No more specific specifications, no more restrictions that in this place, in the heavens and the earth, God will dwell with his people forever. He is seeing a new picture of the holy of holies. In Revelation 21, it's not just set-apart place where only a few people can enter. But now it's in the entire city, the whole place. Every inch of what was remade is the Holy of Holies, God's dwelling place with man. Can you just imagine that? That in this day, when God makes all things new, that we will finally dwell with God face to face. We will see the creator, what we see in creation, that through his speaking that things were made into existence. The one that breathed life into us. The one has, that has knit you together in your mother's womb. The one who is power enough to, to, move, to move oceans, to rescue his people. We will dwell with him. That is what the new heavens and the earth, earth will be like. It won't be about our pleasures. It won't be about our heart's desires. It won't be if they have a Chick-fil-A or not. It will be about the fact that God is going to dwell with us there. And we will be with him for eternity. Verse 4. One of the most encouraging passages in this is that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain. For the former things have passed away. In the end, 
in the end, pain and sorrow will cease to exist. What a glorious place that will be. That we will be with God forever. And when we look into this world, there are pain. There is pain. There is sorrow. There is separation. Just think about, think about the world and think about all the ways that we can hurt people. Think about all the ways that, that human, humanity can hurt each other through racism, sexism, elitism, consumerism. All those will be gone. God's people are identified the one, by one thing and one thing only. There are no political parties, no have, those that have and those that have not, those that could be and those that could not, or has-beens. There will be no national borders, no international boundaries, no ethnic barriers or language barriers or generational barriers. The only thing that is identifying us in that day is that we are God's people. God is the prize. The result of the gospel, the achievement of Jesus' life for us, the conclusion of this hero's journey is that we get to experience the perfected relationship with the Father. And when it happens, all things will be made new. So why are we so satisfied with so much less? Why are we so satisfied with the things that the world has to offer? The culmination of all things that is that, is that we will be with God and experience life as God intended is, is very in his very presence. So how does this impact us now? It should give us the confidence to live this day to pursue him. Anxiety melts away because we know the future. The pursuit of worldly things melt away because we know our future. Fear melts away because we know our future. Instead, being motivated to live in the light of the glorious future, the passion and passionate about helping other people see who Jesus was should be the result. So what are you living for? What's motivating you? Are you truly satisfied in what the world has? God gives us the freedom and the blessing to enjoy the things that the world has. He gives us the blessing, but there is a huge difference between living for the world and living for God while enjoying the good that the world, that God has given us. We must grasp about God's revealed future that will be to help us right now. We grasp the vision of a new reality. We grasp the reality of our new home. And finally, we must receive the promised word. He concludes this, starting in 5b. He says this. Also, he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give them from a spring of water of life without payment. 
The one who conquers will have his her- this, this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So after we hear about the new heavens and the new earth, that the end of those who are to be a part of the bride of Christ, the people of God. They will experience eternal blessing with God, eternal dwelling with God. We're left with a choice. Jesus, the word of God in flesh, the one who is called faithful and true says, it is done. Does that sound familiar? See, when Jesus completed his sacrificial work on the cross, he said, it is finished. Now the victory of the cross is going to be fully realized when the destruction of God's enemies and the salvation of the saints are going to be completed. We know that all of this will come to pass because Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, which means the beginning and he's the end. He is where we see the the spring of the water of life. And the spring of water of life is from the throne of God and from Jesus. And this throne is of of grace that we see as it's, it's described in Hebrews. Because here, those who are thirsty drink from God's free gift. Again, John is, is going back and bringing back the imagery of the Old Testament. In Isaiah 55, 1, it says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has, mer- has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and for labor for that which is not, that does not satisfy Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. He's saying that it's only through coming and drinking from the grace of Christ, the grace of Jesus, that we will truly be satisfied. And so many times we try to drink from the well of the world. We try to drink in the well of, of, of corporate ladder climbing. We try to go to the well of pleasures. We try to go to the realm of social media. We try to go to the realm of whatever it is that we try to find that satisfies us. But the only thing that will truly ever satisfy us is having a relationship with God. And we will then experience all things being made new when he returns and he creates the new heavens and the new earth. So that is the choice that we have to make. Everyone has the same choice. Are you truly satisfied in the truth of this passage? And does it change the way that we live our lives today? 
Because if truly we believe that he is making all things new, wouldn't we want the neighbor from down the street to experience that? Wouldn't we want our sons and our daughters to experience that? Only in Jesus will you find forgiveness and life. Only through Jesus can you dwell with God forever. And as he says, as he ends in verse 8, there's a warning. That those who are separated from God, those that live their lives in opposition to God, they will experience the second death, a complete separation. This is the choice. Receive Christ or receive judgment of God's enemies. So I pray that each one of you have made that choice. That you will get to experience this new heaven and this new earth. And I pray if if you've not made that choice, please reach out to somebody today. Because we don't know when Christ will come back. We don't know the day or the hour when this will all come to pass. So I pray that each one of you will make that choice and that we will be able to experience God's fullness. We will experience God's dwelling with us in the new heavens and the new earth. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the sacrifice that you gave to bring us new life. God, we pray that as we see that you are making all things new, that you're going to make all things new. God, help that be a comfort to our souls. For those who have made the choice to follow you, to be a part of the people of God, God, I pray that that fuels us, that gives us a passion to go into the world and, and make sure that people will understand and experience the same grace that we've experienced. God, I pray that we fight against finding our satisfaction in the things of this world. God, the things that don't satisfy. Help us to thirst for you and find satisfaction. God, we pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.